This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to trek fm's dedicated books and comic show that's right i'm excited to be back it was so wonderful to be here and of course you guys know that if we're doing this show that means i'm joined by our illustrious host one of them now dan gunther matthew happy to be back uh in my home country uh after having a really amazing weekend talking about Star Trek books with a whole bunch of authors. So not much different than what I'm doing here, but, you know, it was somewhere else. So it was pretty cool. Uh, Bruce, I don't really want to talk to Dan anymore because I'm kind of jealous. Uh, It's great to have you here and wonderful co-host to have uh, Dan just leaving us on the side of the road while he goes and hangs out at shore leave. (laughs) He's just too good for us now. He's moved on to bigger and better things. But, you know, Uh, I mean, we may have interviewed the authors, but he's literally rubbing elbows with them now. Yes, he's cleaning (laughs) their elbows. It's just so pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Shine. Hey, you're in a room with the likes of Dayton Ward and David Mack. You would do anything for those guys. So I'm not. I would definitely buy him a drink at the bar. That's for sure. And I'm just glad also to be back in this country because I was in the UK at Star Wars Celebration, which has nothing to do with Star Trek. But I did see James Swallow. So I got to rub elbows with a Star Trek author, too. Very cool. Man, I tell you, I'm out of it for a while, and everybody gets delusions of grandeur. (laughs) Hey, wrong franchise. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. But you're doing Pokemon Go, aren't you? At least... No. 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 Let's... Bruce, why would you sully (laughs) this show by talking about Pokemon Go? I don't know. I'm just in that mood. We're touching all these different franchises. Well, Bruce is ruining the show. Let's talk about the news because we had something really exciting to talk about. And that's about. not the first time the, I'll ruin it. That's true. That's true. It's, it's just a long line. Just pick a show. <laughs> <laughs> a recent one that I'm on. Man, you guys got mean. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. He's We're just, just having too much fun. Yeah, I'm totally jealous. I'm crying over here in my water. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So we did have some really exciting news. We had talked about on the show that the IDW series ongoing was going to be ending with issue 60. And I know that we were kind of lamenting that fact because, honestly, the series has gotten so good. And, like, I'd say the last 10 issues, it's been pretty wonderful. But 
great news for everybody. There's going to be a brand new comic following those JJ verse characters, or excuse me, the Kelvin timeline characters, which we now know there's also going to be a fourth film with Daddy Kirk, and I do mean Thor, Daddy Kirk, coming back. So, this new series is called Boldly Go, and uh, it is going to be picking up. Uh, guys, what do you think? Well, I'm really excited that we're still going to be getting, um, and I, I don't want to say use the phrase ongoing, but <laughs> we're still going to be getting a comic series set in the JJ-verse, because you're right, like these stories... Uh, a few initial weak spots to start the series off with, um, but it's gotten really, really good. So to see that continue, um, and especially in kind of the new uh, world we're going to be getting after beyond if the press release is to be believed here, um, this is really exciting. Uh, really excited to have a regular comic series again still going on after this. Yeah, I couldn't understand, as I mentioned before in a previous episode, when we said about uh, issue 60 was going to be the last one. I, I couldn't understand when we have a new movie coming out, why would you end this? And now we see, oh, they're just retooling it into starting over again with an issue one and continuing after beyond. And so it's almost like they take something away and then you realize how much you really miss it and want it. And now they bring it back and it re and and now I go, yeah, yeah, bring the comic on. I'm even more excited now to know that it's coming back. So it was gone temporarily, but now it's going to be back and I'm so excited for it. I have a math equation for you guys. So what is beyond beyond? Is that like beyond infinity or? I thought it was Beyonce. <laughs> oh that's, that's right okay it. that makes sense yeah well, she's beyond be. beyond i'm telling you that that's the yeah so true well i i'm really excited to have this uh coming uh this fall with mike johnson back as the writer and you know i, I again i i really do think that they have really hit something pretty special in the last like you know month two months three months with the the ongoing title a lot of the, the work that they've been doing has been spectacular, and I'm very excited, which, you know, it's interesting this week. We're talking about the penultimate issue of Ongoing, number 59, and this is a really interesting story, and I I don't want to say it yet, but I, I want to know what you guys think. Yeah, this one, I, I kind of, when I saw the cover, I didn't really know what to expect and then opened the page, and this really is... Uh, a crossover between the Kelvin timeline and classic Star Trek. And, you know, that makes me really, really excited to talk about this story uh, even more so than just the fact that I really like to say the word penultimate. Um, so yeah, this is a great word, isn't it? But uh, yeah, this is what a, like I, I was flipping through the pages, just going like, what's going on? Like, how are they they're they're talking about the differences in appearances between not only the ship but like the characters as well and some really awkward moments with spock and uh yeah that was really <laughs> awkward <laughs> like i i feel like i'm sorry uhura took that very well like what is going on here uh yeah no apparently nobody wears clothes when they go to bed on the enterprise <laughs> which was a little weird but um yeah that scene was just awkward mm. yeah uh very awkward uh i don't even want to talk about that right now i'm actually looking at that page so <laughs> you know to see <laughs> bruce stop looking at it <laughs> michelle nichols in bed with zachary quinto is kind of weird right now um 
you know, it, yeah. So, so we see, for example, William Shatner's Kirk look in the mirror and he sees Chris Pine Kirk and then vice versa. So the whole thing's a little odd to me, but okay. When I first picked it up, it's almost like the whole thing with the Klingon ridges where people say like, you know, it doesn't have to be explained. You know, it was a budget thing in the early days. They didn't have the the bumps on the head. It doesn't need to be explained why they weren't there. It's the same thing with this. I didn't feel like they need to explain why the actors look different in these movies versus the previous movies and series. But I'm okay with exploring something different like that and seeing and having fun with it and seeing how it turns out. But it also got me thinking, well, there's been, what does that mean for like Savick? Like we had two different actresses that played Savick. So did one Savick come from a different dimension, from a different timeline? And then, you know, Kirk and, and, and Nemesis, he didn't, his younger version didn't look like his older self, you know? And, and then this, you know, if you want to go and say that in different universes, we look like different people, well then, that's something I never really thought about. So in another universe, for example, I could look like Brad Pitt and that wouldn't be too bad. And then I had, which is so weird because in this universe, I, I mean, my doppelganger is actually just walking. Patrick Dempsey is here. It's just so strange. We, we, I, in, I'm just, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Matthew. Sure. That's exactly what we were thinking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Can we go back to the Uhura Spock thing now? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I feel like that might be a little less awkward. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so this was what I think is is great is that this is a good way to pay homage to all that's come before with ongoing and where, you know, the Kelvin tel- timeline kind of originates from with, you know, Prime Spock and all of that. And I think this is just a great way to kind of put a cap on this series and move after beyond. And so I, I, I actually just really like this, you know. Um, now, I do have to say they've set up a great mystery. It does need to resolve well. But I, I, I got to give them credit, you know. I, I'd, I'd say that in the last 10 issues or so in the series that they've been doing, I've appreciated the way that they've wrapped up the story. You know, like with the Legacy of Spock series, that kind of stuff. So I think they can do this one well as two, and I think they want to. And so I have every confidence that this will wrap up well. I I just like this beginning. I I think it's a lot of fun. And it's very classic kind of Trek, you know. It, It just feels like all of those great kind of strange time warp episodes different dimensions, all that stuff put together. And what a great celebration for the 50th anniversary of Star Trek and a way to wrap up this series. So to me, it's starting off fresh. Let's just hope it ends fresh too. Mm-hmm. Now, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but does does this not really feel to you guys like the writers were kind of like, we really want to do this story. And they're like, yeah. no, you can't do yes. that story. But we really want to do, well, okay, can we do it at the very end? okay, fine, you can do this story. And and like it feels like something the writers are really having fun with because, you know, I was reading this kind of grinning about, wow, what a neat idea. And like, I never would have thought to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right, Dan. And I'm glad that they are doing it. I, I think, and it's the kind of story that it works perfectly in a comic, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't really do this on film anymore because all the characters are gone or too old for this, but it works perfectly now. 
and it works perfectly in a comic. So, which leads me to a very interesting question because New Visions has a new issue out, and it's the cage. But not a different cage than before. It's legitimately just the cage. The episode. Huh? You don't want to hear the cage retold to you exactly how it was on screen and, and see it in a comic book? No. <laughs> not for seven ninety nine. Yeah, it's a little odd because, you know, when I th- saw this, it said, okay, it's the cage. It's a special edition. And I'm thinking this will be a new take on the cage. They're going to change the story in some manner or, or, or play with it. But it's it's basically word for word. It's the script from the original pilot. And, uh, I mean, it's a nice book if, if you want to have this episode in this form, but uh, you're not getting a new story. Yeah, no, it's it really feels to me like, the, you know, the origin of the whole New Visions thing was the photo comic adaptations of, of episodes from the 60s. And this feels to me, you know, just to kind of play devil's advocate a little bit, kind of going back to the roots of where this idea came from and creating one out of an episode that was never adapted. But yeah, that's the thing is you're paying eight bucks for just the cage. And the thing about those photo comics is they came out at a time where there were no DVDs. There were no even like VHS copies of the episodes that you could buy this was oh okay i can relive an episode that i might catch on syndication once a year kind of thing um but yeah it's again devil's advocate i guess as like maybe a memento of the 50th anniversary something a little interesting okay but if you're looking for a story to sit down and read yeah, it, it falls flat. We've seen this episode multiple times in, in the cage and the menagerie. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a thing that exists and you can buy it. Well, and, and I'm it again, I'm not it's not something to, to, to try and be mean about or anything like that. Just it was kind of shocking to me to see this pull up. And I'm thought I'm thinking to myself that kind of what you guys are thinking, like, wh- why would you need this? And Dan, you said it perfectly, you know. It, it's not something that we do need anymore because we already have the DVDs. You know, this this isn't that time period. And so I think I think it's it's strange. But, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure that there will be fans out there that are going to love it. Um, it just definitely wasn't for me. So uh, but we have something very exciting. Uh, we talked about this a little bit there. We were we were ribbing Dan just a little bit, but Dan, you got to go to the shore leave. And so tell us a little bit about the shore leave convention, and then we have some incredible shore leave news for upcoming books as well. Well, the shore leave convention is an annual science fiction convention that's held in uh, Hunt Valley, Maryland, uh, just outside of Baltimore. And it's fan run. Uh, And it's kept fairly small, so it's not a huge convention. If you're expecting something like the Creation Convention in Vegas, this ain't it. But it's really cool because um, although this was my first year going there, you can tell there's a community that's built up around this. There's a lot of people that go year after year. And 
everybody seems like they're greeting old friends when they're there. So it was really cool to be a little bit of a part of that uh, event. And this is the 38th year they've done it. So this has been running for quite some time. Uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. And one thing that's very notable about this convention is it seems to be where the Star Trek writers congregate every year and kind of roll out their new books and talk about what's coming up in the pocketbooks lineup. And uh, there are a lot of panels talking about various aspects of, of Star Trek uh, literature and other aspects of Star Trek. And of course, you know, I met Karen Gillan, so that's cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've met her too. You lucky man. She's Isn't she great? Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was pretty starstruck. I'm I'm not gonna not gonna lie there. Yeah, I've her picture is legitimately on the wall, right right in front of my face. So <laughs> I, I completely get it. Yeah. So yeah, it, it really is a really great convention. Um I, I do have to admit I'm pretty far away, so this was a pretty pricey endeavor to try and get there and go to this. Uh it was definitely worth it. If you live anywhere near that area, you should go. If if you're listening to this podcast, you like Star Trek books, and it is mecca for Star Trek books. Like you, you will love that. So, uh, it's definitely a lot of fun. So, give us some of the big news that came out of the convention. Some of the books that are going to be coming up here uh, in 2017. Gosh, we're talking about 2017. Can you believe it? Yeah, the the future beyond the 50th anniversary. Like everyone's so excited about 50, you know, there's more out there. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, well, first of all, uh, any of our listeners who may have tried to enter the Strange New Worlds writing contest that was revived again this year, uh, there was a little bit of updates about that. Um, they're not certain on the exact release date for the book that comes out from it. It's going to be ebook only to start with. Uh, if it sells really well, it will be printed in dead tree format, if you like. Um, and they're not certain if there'll be a second new one yet. So uh, waiting to hear about that. Um, as far as new books coming, there were two really big announcements uh, that I thought were really, really cool. Both of them actually from Dayton Ward. Um, not scheduled yet, but he has a new TNG novel coming out. It'll be sometime next year. Um, and it will be called Hearts and Minds. And those of you who have heard uh, us talk about it know that I really, really liked From History's Shadow and uh, the follow-up Elusive Salvation. This will be basically be from History's Shadow 3, uh, but featuring the TNG crew. So that was really, really exciting. That was kind of one of the really big things that I was excited about. And then the second big one that I think is really great, uh, if you haven't already picked up Dayton Ward's Vulcan Travel Guide, you should, because it is really, really great. And we got some amazing news at Shore Leave. He will be doing another one. Uh, and this one will be the Hidden Universe Travel Guide to Kronos and the Klingon Empire. So I've already seen a lot of people online saying like, oh, we should get one for the Klingon Empire and other planets. Well, it's coming. It's that one's coming. So yes. really, really excited about that one. Yes. Well, now I know where to go on Kronos for the best blood wine. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I managed to pick up the Vulcan Travel Guide this weekend and do yourselves a favor. This is a really, really fun book. The artwork is incredible and the writing is hilarious. And 
the Star Trek in-jokes and stuff, you guys will just love. So be sure to pick that up. Well, and and one of the things that you gave us here, we just kind of have a quick rundown of what's coming up. Obviously, we know the Prey Trilogy is coming out uh, soon. This September, we're going to have a new DTI book by Christopher L. Bennett, Time Lock. Uh, January, we're going to be actually getting a TOS book by Christopher L. Bennett called The Face of the Unknown. February is TNG, Headlong Flight with Dayton Ward. March is DS9 with uh, David R. George III, The Long Mirage. Uh, of course, uh, hopefully, and it's subject to change because of uh, Kirsten Byers' busy schedule, but we're hoping that's when her Architects of Infinity is going to be coming out. Uh, so hopefully we'll cross our fingers that she does have enough time to get that done. And, you know, we're so excited, obviously, here on the show. May, Section 31, Control by David Mack. Can't, I just I can't wait to get my hands on that book. So yeah. uh, I'm so excited to see where that's going to go. And like you said... Uh, we're not sure when Dayton's next uh, TNG book will be coming out. Uh, and then Titan with David Mack, Fortune's War, which is very cool because, if correct me if I'm wrong, has David ever written a Titan book? I'm trying to remember, and I'm thinking... Not directly. Uh, the Destiny trilogy, of course, featured the Titan. That the is crew. true, yeah. But yeah, a, a book with Star Trek Titan on the cover. Nope, David Mack has not written one of those, so... Yeah, that was pretty cool news for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, Dan, you have one more thing. You're a lot like Steve Jobs here to surprise everybody. What else happened at Shore Leave that we get to share with everybody? Well, I'm excited to be able to show you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, today in the uh, feature, we're going to be talking about uh, Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman's new ebook, uh, Deep Space Nine Rules of Accusation. And I managed to corner them at shore leave. They were both there as well and sit down and, and have a kind of a little discussion with them about uh, their writing of that book. Managed to talk a little bit about rules of accusation. So we'll have that interview for you here uh, just before we talk about it ourselves. Well, as you know, I'm at uh, Shore Leave 38, and I got the chance to sit down with Paula M. Block and Terry J. Erdman, whose recent ebook, uh, The Deep Space Nine Rules of Accusation, just recently came out. And I got the chance to sit down with them and talk a bit about it. So, uh, welcome. Hello. Happy uh, to hear you. <laughs> howdy. Here we are. Let's have fun. Excellent. Well, uh, you guys are known for writing a lot of really great uh, nonfiction Star Trek books over the years. The uh, the Star Trek uh, costumes uh, book that recently came out is a favorite of mine, and of course the Deep Space Nine Companion, which is just incredible. Uh, and you've recently also had another ebook, uh, Lust's Latinum Lost and Found. Uh, I wanted to ask you what the difference in the experience of writing of the nonfiction versus the fictional world of Star Trek is like. The big difference is uh, when you're doing nonfiction books, when we, the way we do them, we do a lot of interviewing, and the interviewing requires a lot of transcribing tapes, and that's possibly the most miserable job one could ever run into. It's a real task. But when you're writing fiction, you're making it up. You don't have to transcribe anything. That's the, that, that's the big difference. 
And we don't usually have to worry about writer's block with the fiction because we write really detailed outlines in advance. So we're working off this script uh, to do the fiction, and it's just fun. We can just go. And with the nonfiction, you're working on all of the transcripts that uh, we've put together and the interviews, and you're worried that somebody might say, I didn't put it that way, you know, and you're thinking, oh, God, you know. So. so you're kind of uh, worried about getting some of the stuff wrong that, that, that's been given to you, whereas with the fiction stuff, you're making it up yourself. So yeah. There, there obvious are obviously are guidelines. I mean, each character has a specific personality that's been developed over, the, you know, over his use in the show. The actors have put something in, the writers have put something in. You have to really adhere to that. But but the incidents that you can put them into, the, you know, the new experiences, you can make that up. And it, that's really, really, really fun. Where behind-the-scenes books is more like reporting, mm-hmm. and you have to be more accurate. It's, it's actual rather than fictional. It, they're, they're very different, and yet the... Uh, the process of writing is the same. You still have nouns and verbs and sentences and paragraphs. So you know. Um, well, speaking of that, um, I a lot of the character voices in this book uh, I absolutely loved. Um, getting kind of back to uh, Zek's, you know, kind of craziness there, and and Ishka and Rom and Quark, and writing them, kind of in those familiar situations they haven't been in in quite a while. And especially Odo getting to get get back into the investigating side of that. What was it like to kind of uh, get those characters back to some of those places? Uh, actually, that was one of our goals with this. We really, you know, we love the ongoing series of books that uh, Pocket is doing with their Deep Space Nine characters. But there's a point when, you know, we loved the, ori- the original Deep Space Nine series, obviously having spent eight years on that book. Uh, And we got to know everyone's voice really well. And we kind of felt a little sad that they weren't working together because Star Trek is always best when all your familiar characters are kind of locked in together on problems. And I knew that um, Odo was waiting to do something in one of the previous books. So I said, okay, let's set it in that time period so that we could make it like old home week and bring in as many of the older characters as possible. We would have brought in Nog too, but uh, within that same time frame, he was not on the station, he was doing something. So I went, all right. So we pulled in as many as we could and that gave us a chance to make everybody relate to each other in the way that they used to. There's the interaction between Quark and Rom. There's a moment where the two of them kind of go back to the way it used to be between them two, where he wasn't the Nagus, he was just his brother in the bar. So we really enjoyed doing that. Oddly enough, um, I know we probably shouldn't, but we do read our reviews. <laughs> and oddly enough, one of the first reviews that came out was somebody was co- complaining that Odo isn't in the book enough. Well, I don't know how to answer something like that because, because we're making it up. We could have left Odo out altogether, and it's not an Odo book. So I'm thinking where's the line you know <laughs> how are you going to satisfy every reader and you can't you just, we sort of have to satisfy ourselves you know yeah no and uh 
the characters that are used here i the the moment you mentioned between cork and rom i was i was grinning reading that part just because the when the two brothers kind of look at each other and just kind of do a little half smile it was it was really really sweet that was excellent another thing i notice in this book and 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 your other book as well is uh the sheer number of little star trek in jokes that you're able to put in there. And I was kind of wondering, like at this point, is the knowledge of Star Trek that you guys have so ingrained that that stuff just kind of comes to you? Or do you have to actually do kind of some of the background research at all? Um, well, a lot of it is ingrained because we did watch the show pretty well. Uh, I have to admit that with food names, things like that, I, I consulted with the old encyclopedia. Boy, am I looking forward to getting the new encyclopedia. <laughs> Uh, by the Akutas. and uh, but in lieu of that, for more modern things, I I was looking quite a lot at Memory Alpha. I will give them a plug, you know, because they had whole lists of Ferengi food and things, and I double checked them by looking them up elsewhere too. So they really helped a lot. So some of that trivia I probably owe to Memory Alpha, but at least I knew where to look for it. But the, uh, the personalities and the relationships between the characters, that's pretty much ingrained. I and mean, we didn't really look up, wait, did Odo ever have an argument with Zek? We, we, nothing like that we ever had to look up. It's, it's deep in our psyches. You know? Not so much that when we go to the grocery store, we specifically look for only Star Trek product. But, but we, we know the stuff. We've, we've been with it for a long, long time. You won't uh, you won't find Partha Sala Utah on the on the shelf. <laughs> Although we do have among the collection of things that Paula acquired, even when I wasn't collecting as much, um, we have an actual cereal box. Beautiful. You would never know that it didn't come straight out of one of the professional cereal companies of pre-chewed tube grubs. Yeah, whatever happened to that it's box? In, it's it's in, in the, the garage. garage. It's well, in the garage. We have a lot of things in our garage that we can't even remember if we still have, but uh, because we moved eight years ago and we haven't cleaned the garage yet. Oh, that's excellent. I I, I can imagine there'd be thousands of Trekkies out there that would love a look at that garage. <laughs> boxes, boxes, and boxes of stuff. Very cool. <laughs> I have a new item for my bucket list. <laughs> Are you volunteering to clean our garage? Uh-oh, what have I gotten into now? <laughs> ah, you know what? I'd probably take that job. <laughs> we, would, we would guarantee that we would, we would give some prizes to a person who would help us clean the garage. Excellent. Well, um, I was kind of wondering, is there anything on the horizon for the two of you, um, Star Trek-wise or, or otherwise, that, uh, that our listeners might be interested in uh, keeping an eye out for? We just finished a rather large book for the publisher who we did the costumes of Star Trek with. Um, and that it's a large coffee table book commemorating, commemorating the 30th anniversary of the film Labyrinth. The, uh, you know, the collaboration between uh, Jim Henson and George Lucas and David Bowie. And it had always been a favorite movie of mine and, and Terry came to love it as I did. <laughs> it's more of a girl's movie than it's a guy's a, movie. It's a girl's movie. <laughs> but uh, 
he really got to like it because the people who worked, well, he likes David Bowie anyway, but uh, the people who worked on it at Henson are amazing and they're wonderfully generous with the information. So we really got a huge charge out of talking to the people at the Henson company. Uh, you know, we got to talk to Jim Henson's son, Brian, and his daughters, Cheryl and Lisa, and they all filled in parts of the whole story, and, and no one has ever done a making of Labyrinth book, so I think this is going to be of interest to a lot of people, just from the response when the cover went up on Amazon, a lot of people said, oh my god, my favorite movie when I was a little kid. It's, um, it's at the printer as we speak. Uh, we'll be in stores October 12th, which is a distance from now, but it's at the printer, which means we don't have to do any more work on it. It's done. Oh, that's exciting. I have a friend that's going to be so stoked to hear about that. She loves Labyrinth, so very, very cool. And uh, where might uh, our listeners be able to follow you uh, in social media or, um, or online at all? Uh, they can always watch us on Facebook. We're too lazy and Luddite-like to uh, do a, a page of our own. But uh, they can follow us on Facebook. Just look up our names and they'll see us. That's pretty much. And, and I have a small presence on Twitter. So they can sometimes see that. But I tend to post more on Facebook. So Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today. Um, I, I just finished Rules of Accusation. I absolutely loved it. I think our listeners are going to really enjoy this one as well. It was obviously a labor of love for, for the two of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to any editor, editors out there who are listening, we'd love to do more. <laughs> Excellent. Dan, that was an awesome interview. Like, I, I'm i so glad you got a chance to do that. And it makes me want to be able to sit down with these authors and just talk like this, you know, in a more, you know, conducive setting to eh, having some libations flowing so that they want to let things slip, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, but fantastic stuff. Thank you so much for bringing that to us. And uh, before we do jump into the feature and talk about rules of accusation, uh, let just let everybody know where they can find us uh, online and contact the show. Well, of course, you can find Literary Treks wherever you find your podcasts. That and, of course, all of the shows on the Trek FM network. We have shows covering all corners of the Star Trek universe and beyond. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. And leave us a star rating and review. If you leave us a good review, of course, it really helps us rise in the search results. And if you leave us a critical review, well, it helps us to know what we can do better on the show to make Literary Trek something that you are really going to enjoy. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to get into contact with us, there's a form on our website at trek.fm contact. You can leave us a voicemail there as well. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com trekfm. Uh, we're on Twitter at trekfm and on Facebook at facebook.com trekfm. While you're on Facebook, check out the Babel Conference. That's our listeners-only group where we can discuss all the shows on the Trek FM network and all sorts of things from the Star Trek universe. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. 
For literary tricks, we also have the Goodreads group. We have bookshelves there with all of the books we have previously covered, as well as what we're currently reading, so you know what's coming up for future shows. And there are, of course, great conversations happening about all the books and comics there as well. Just go to goodreads.com and search for literary treks. We talked earlier this year about the fact that we weren't going to be getting as many of the e-novellas, which I have to say that I've honestly missed because I've really enjoyed them. But the fact that we're getting another Quark e-novella from... Terry Erdman and Paula and Block is just fantastic. And I'm really glad that Rules of Accusation is here and we get to talk about it, guys. And so I wanted to dive in with you. And this is, I just want to give it a compliment up front. This is the perfect ebook because it feels like an episode. This feels just like an episode of. DS9 in the you know the expanded universe that we're in now and this is the Ferengi episode of the week and it's awesome because of that yeah it it really is a lot of fun I really enjoyed reading this book for a number of reasons but yeah like you said primarily it feels like a really good Ferengi episode of Deep Space Nine and yeah the it's clear that Paula Block and Terry Erdman, you know, they spent eight years writing the Deep Space Nine companion. They know these characters in this show inside out, and it really shows in this story. I, I really enjoy the story, and I love uh, Quark and, and all the Ferengi, and I'm glad this, is, this really is the perfect medium for it, because this would not work as a 400, 500-page novel. It would just... It would just be too much. It's it's exactly like you said, Matt, and it's exactly what I was thinking, and that is it feels like a Deep Space Nine episode. And I would love to have more of these. I would love to see these come out more often than what they do. And this is just a great place for a fun story with Quark, Rom, and crew. Well, and, and I think what's so exciting about it is that... <sighs> We just we haven't spent a lot of time with some of these characters in the Deep Space Nine universe like this, you know. And I just I really like that we're getting that opportunity, you know. I mean, that's th the little bit that O'Brien is in here with Keiko. It's the first time I can remember that Keiko is not complaining <laughs> to to O'Brien about something, and they're having friction in their marriage kind of thing, um, you know just seeing Odo back here in this story. I mean, just, and that's something that you mentioned here, Dan, on the outline, this kind of recaptures that old DS nine feel with a lot of characters in very familiar places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, there's so many moments in this book where the characters find themselves back in very familiar roles. And, uh, you know, it really brought a smile to my face to, uh, imagine these characters back where they started and you know that's something like it, it's great that deep space nine has shown a progression and people moving on and, and that sort of thing but those of us who watch the show and love the show sometimes we just really want to see our characters back where they were and interacting in ways that feel familiar um, i think to me when odo changed his clothing into the old style bajoran uniform and he started interrogating uh, the various guests. I was just like, this is great. This is this is Odo back 
as as though he'd never left as security chief on ds9 and you know that made me really happy that was a lot of fun to read the only ferengi that were missing from this would be nog nog was not in this book he was elsewhere uh i really would have liked to have nog back in this but just having rom and lita and just all the family members of you know quarks and and all the different ferengi there and they're just yeah it just felt like a fun Deep Space Nine episode. And not all episodes of Deep Space Nine are fun. So, you know, every once in a while you get a lighthearted episode, and that's how this felt. It was almost like a nice breather because we read so many of these Star Trek books, and for the most part, they're pretty serious. They're dealing with some some big issues or some big, you know, serious event that's going on. So it's just nice to have something fun like this. And it felt, you know, it felt like going back home. That's what it felt like. No, I, I think that is... A great way to put it, Bruce. It does. It feels like going back home. And what was great about it is having everybody slip into these old roles. They actually found a very smart way of getting Odo to be the one who was doing the investigation. Because the whole thing is, is that, well, it's an embassy. It means that the moment you walk through Quark's door, you're not actually on quote-unquote federation soil you know you're in ferengi controlled territory and so therefore starfleet has no jurisdiction and it reminded me of the matrix where you give me that my jurisdiction crap and i'll shove it <laughs> like he doesn't have any jurisdiction there so it, it's gotta be odo uh talked into helping out quark which Odo has gotten even more grumpy since he's been gone and uh, no longer a god anymore to anybody. Uh, he seems a little bit grumpier now that he's back. <laughs> that said, though, it didn't seem to take a whole lot of convincing for him to get back into doing that. I think he really deep down misses that role and uh, interacting with people like that. Back in the saddle again. Yeah, that's how, That was my perception, too, that he was... Even though he was saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I think he was like, yeah, yeah, keep begging. I, yeah, yeah, because I, I really want to. Because he even he was making comments, you know, ahead of time that something's going to happen. It always does with Quark. It doesn't matter how perfect he has it set up. Something's going to happen and he's going to fall back to where he started. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. And he's kind of just hanging in the back of the room like, just watch. Yeah, watch. Just watch <laughs> this. <laughs> You'll see. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Oh, man. It, the interactions like that... Uh, it just, you know, it, it, I, I don't want to complain about the current Deep Space Nine uh, status quo, but it, it's something it feels like we haven't gotten in a long time. And it's, it's really noticed here uh, that it's been absent. So uh, it was really, really fun to read for sure. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. And I, I really liked uh, the way that just the book flowed. Um, it, it had a great flow to it. And, and what was great about it is that it, in the end, you know, feeling like an episode, there wasn't anything repetitive about this. You know, when, when we say it feels like an episode, we're just saying it, it feels like something we could have seen on the television show. But I'm not saying it feels like a repeat of anything. Mm -hmm. This is a great, fun, um, very well thought out story that is actually fitting into the continuity of the current Deep Space Nine and characters we haven't seen in a while and that kind of thing. And it was just a fun, like, only on Ferenginar could this kind of thing happen, especially, well, because it involves Zek. 
you know, uh, and, and one of his plans that little went a little bit awry. Yeah, I, I loved some of those moments when, you know, Zek kind of reveals what's happened here, or at least the first part of, of what's happened here. It's like, oh, yeah, no, of course that's not real. I I, I switched it out for the fake one years ago. <laughs> I'll just look at him like, are you kidding me? <laughs> oh. Again, something that could have been brought to my attention yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, but I knew. Who cares? As long as, long as I know, doesn't matter. You know, it's like he doesn't even think to tell people until they ask him. You know, it's so funny. <laughs> he's hilarious. You know, and then he's got his wife. You know, Moogie. And I just like the Ferengi are just hilarious in this book. I mean, they're just hilarious all around. I just, uh, I, I could take more of these. I really could, and a drink of Jack Daniels with it. <laughs> well, the idea too, and and this was what was so fun as we're talking about this because there's a lot of fun obscure references, not only to Trek but other things, and you know, Quarks has always been kind of representative of Ricks from Casablanca, and so what was so great about the story is there's a few great references to to that film, like round up the usual suspects, mm-hmm. and I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, and so I mean it. What was great about this is it had that feel, you know, like you're bringing all these characters back that we've kind of missed, all these usual suspects that we're used to having around Deep Space Nine. And DS9 felt like Casablanca. You know, that's the feeling that we've always gotten in this. And and that made me really happy to see. I loved that that reference because I also loved that the book was making me have that feeling that I have when I watch Casablanca. It's like coming home to old friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this to me, I love the way you put that, coming home to old friends. This is the first time that this new Deep Space Nine has felt like the old Deep Space Nine, you know? And I don't know, bringing a story like this into that environment finally kind of made it feel a little bit familiar to me. Although... You could have really just replaced it with the old Deep Space Nine. So, you know, it's it's really hard to kind of separate that in my head with this particular story. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe future stories will be able to kind of recapture that and, and make this place feel familiar like the old Deep Space Nine was. Yeah, because if you're not reading any of the new Deep Space Nine books about this new station and you're intimidated to go into something, you have no worries with this because this story could have easily fallen into the last season of Deep Space Nine. It it has nothing to do with the new space station. Uh, Some of our characters are in slightly different roles. As we were saying, Odo's not the security chief, but he quickly steps up to, you know, handle the situation. So it's, it's a very easy thing to to get into if you're not following all the novels and and, and you're and if you're not caught up because actually this this actually takes place uh, i can't remember exactly but it doesn't even it's not even the next deep space nine novel in the chronology it's somewhere a couple novels back mm-hmm. i think you guys are right because you, this one does take place post the missing but pre sacraments of fire so it's right in between there um and I'm with you guys, and I want to say, the Star Trek magazine or something, we need some blueprints and some layouts of the new station so that we can picture in our mind what this place looks like. I know that there are some things that, you know, um, you can go on uh, 
Doug Drexler's uh, Facebook page and see some of the layouts a little bit. But for me, I'm right there with you. To me, I'm always picturing the old station because that's really all I know. I really need to know what this station looks like because I think that that's one of the frustrating parts of it. You know, um, anytime that we read a Voyager novel, even if I'm not on Voyager, I know what Starfleet ships look like. So if it, if I'm on the Vesta, I know what that's going to look like for the most part. I can picture it in my mind. Uh, you know, uh, same thing with the Titan. I, I know what that's going to look like because it's a Starfleet vessel. So when we're here on a brand new space station that has so much that's different about it from what we knew of the original Deep Space Nine, I need some visual guide to it. And I just feel like this is just something that, that Pocket Books and Titan Magazine should partner up and do mm-hmm. and give us uh, an expose on the brand new Deep Space Nine. And heck, I don't buy the Titan Magazine, but I'd buy that issue. Here, here. Because... You know, I, I, I'm getting my wallet out right now. I'm ready. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right a li- little cross promotion never hurt anyone. Like, yeah, absolutely. No, <laughs> no. So I, I think that's what I, I would really be helped by because like you guys, I'm, I'm reading this novel, but I'm not picturing the new Deep Space Nine. I'm really just picturing the old Deep Space right. Nine. Same here. Mm-hmm. Same here. I kept trying to, I, I would catch myself thinking of the old Deep Space Nine and then I would just make it bigger and brighter in my mind, but it still looked like quarks. It still looked like that same space station. It's hard to mm-hmm. visualize a Federation Bajoran looking place. I mean, I I just picture everything bigger, brighter, maybe more green with plants and things. Just some kind of utopia or something. <laughs> it kind of, I actually kind of just picture in my mind something that looks more like the Enterprise from the JJ Trek from the Kelvin timeline. That it's like brighter, it's wider, you yeah. know, everything mm-hmm. looks is bigger. Um, that's kind of how I picture the new Deep Space mm-hmm. Nine because that's kind of how it feels in my brain. But, and you could go hang gliding in it too. <laughs> oh, which is awesome. One of the things though with some of the obscure references. I love that Ro finally answers the question that, no, you don't need a thousand pads. You can just use one. And (laughs) Quark's like, I know, but it's easier just to be able to see everything at the same time. So that's why they have different pads. That's why Picard's desk in uh, Nemesis has all those pads on it. Or in in, uh, the same thing in Insurrection, all those pads over it. <laughs> he just yeah, no. he doesn't like flipping between the apps. He just likes to have it all laid out. Yeah. I love that they kind of finally address that a little bit. I I know it's a minor thing, but it's yeah, it's something that's always kind of jumped out to me. But at the same time, you know what? I can kind of just to kind of digress here a little bit. I can see a future where we'd have 10 iPads and have different things on different screens once once they become as cheap as a piece of paper basically, but uh but yeah, no, I love. Or that. you just replicated it. Yeah, exactly. I, I love that they actually address it here, though. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great, and I do agree that we would have multiple pads. That you know, I go to work every day, and I have three monitors on my desk. I mean, somebody would look at that and say, "Why would you need three monitors?" But I do, and a lot of people have two monitors. And right now, I have a monitor, an iPad, and an iPhone sitting here. And even as we're doing the show, I'm using all three. So, you know. It's just because you're using one is for one instrument and one 
for something else. And so I can definitely see a future where we have multiple uh, pads. And thank you, Roe, for pointing that out to us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, well, this one is fun because, you know, we haven't seen Morn in a while on Deep Space Nine. He's been missing. And uh, this we get a little bit of a backstory with Morn. And we actually kind of get a taste of where he is. But we're not going to get the complete answer until the next book. But I, I just, I loved that Morn was involved with this whole plot to replace the rules of, of acquisition with a forgery because he knew somebody who was the universe's best forger, at least the, you know, the Alpha Quadrant's best forger. I just, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool to kind of get Morn back in there a little bit. Um, and, you know, his involvement, like it makes, it's one of those things that like, of course, that makes sense. And they bring him in for that. I'm kind of wondering how this is going to work with uh, the next book we're going to be getting where a bunch of the subplot is Quark trying to find Morn. Um, you know, the fact that he has been back to the station, although clandestinely, you know, I'm wondering if that's going to figure into it at all. Um, and of course, this whole storyline with Morn and the Forger and all that leads to uh, the best repeated line ever from Deep Space Nine. It's a fake! Yes. Yes. <laughs> they say it twice in this, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we all think alike, because I exactly thought of that when I read it and had to laugh out loud. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. It just made me feel bad for Vreenik, because he's dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh great. You mm. just brought the mood down. Thanks, Matt. We mourning for Vreenik. Just raise a glass of Romulan ale in his honor. That's right. (laughs) One for me, one for Vreenik. Yeah, well, Morn doesn't talk. Well, wait, no, he does talk, but they don't write him talking in this, which is smart because we never heard him talk on the show, even though he's supposedly the biggest talker and nonstop talker you've ever met, which is hard to imagine since we've never heard him talk. And I think it's wise that they never, that, that the writers never have him talk because we should never hear that. It's the same thing as Norm on Cheers, which is, is that's where Morn gets his name from. It's Norm from Cheers, but in reverse. Mm -hmm. And, Norm on Cheers was married to Vera, and we never saw Vera. And there was an episode, she actually came into the bars there, I think they're throwing pies, and as soon as she comes in the bar, when they go to the shot of her, the pie's in her face. So we still never see her face. It's that same thing. You got to play where we're never going to hear him, even though we know he talks all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I just love this lovable, loquacious Lurian that we never actually get to hear talk, but apparently he tells the best stories. It kind of makes you want to sit down next to him at the bar, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's brilliant. Yeah, and, and they can never have him talk in a book because what voice would you hear in your head while you're reading it? Yeah. There's, there's nothing there. What, so, what, yeah, voice, no, what voice do you think he would sound like? Dan, what do you think Morn would sound like <laughs> if he opened his mouth? I I mean, the logical part of me is like probably this deep, rumbling grumbly voice but wouldn't it be great if like he sounded like mickey mouse or something (laughs) (laughs) i always just picture him sounding like norm from cheers 
Uh, I can see that. So, yeah. 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 That's a good one. Because that's who he's based off of. Yes. So, I like the Mickey that's, Mouse that's idea, why. though. That's pretty funny. Yeah. He opens his mouth. <laughs> hi, everybody. Hi, ah, you. Ha, ha, hi there, Quark. Ha, can, uh, can I have another drink? <laughs> Holy crap, that is way too good. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> did Morn just walk in the room? <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. There's um, one difference anyway, between Morn and uh, Mickey Mouse. Morn has small ears. Mm, yes, that, that is was true. pointed out that a couple times true. in the book, too. <laughs> I just, this is, rating this book, is it really fair? Uh, do you guys have a rating for this one, do you think? Well, I mean, I really, really like this book. Uh, I, I think the past, you know, hour gushing about it has been pretty apparent with that. Again, it really felt like a familiar Deep Space Nine story, and it felt like like you guys said, we're coming home, you know, the characters are all, we got the gang back together, you know, and, and it was really nice for this moment in time to kind of get that. And, uh, gosh, wouldn't it, some of these lines I really wish were actually in the series or a movie, because wouldn't you want Corinthian leather to actually be part of Star Trek canon? (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. Um, so I think I'm going to have to personally give this, and I think this is no surprise, uh, five out of five real Tribble slippers. <laughs> They're actually the most comfortable. They're like Ugg slippers, but way better. Oh my Am I gosh. a horrible person for wanting real Tribble slippers made out of real Tribbles? It's the only slippers that Klingons wear. <laughs> Yes, the slippers are actually mentioned in the book. I forgot about that. The triple slippers. They, I, I think I'd want those. So I'm not going to give it five. I, th- I thought it was really good, but if I'm going to really sit down and read Star Trek, I, I want something a little more Star Trek from it. But this was a nice break, and so I really enjoyed it. So I, I wouldn't put it up there as a five-star Star Trek book. I would put it as a... Four four notes out of five of tickle my lobes and tell me that you love me. <laughs> oh. oh man, I've got the willies now. Um, <laughs> this this book is really fun, and like we said, it feels like an episode. But it, there's nothing about it that feels like some kind of retread. It just feels like a new Ferengi episode on Deep Space Nine, and that is fantastic. Because of that, to me, this this is definitely four out of five fake rules of acquisition and uh it's just it's it's a well done book and so i i really do hope that uh they get to continue this and hopefully we'll get more of the e-novellas so so people go out there and buy this on your on your e-device so that we can get more of these great books you could have several e-devices around you each with a different ebook on it (laughs) there you go there you go i love it in in your triple slippers Well, that was a really fun discussion. It got my earlobes burning hot, red with fun and excitement, (laughs) talking about Ferengi. I'm I'm a little concerned now, Bruce. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, tickling the lobes there. Um, Exciting, exciting (laughs) stuff. Um, Guys, I, gosh, this is, it's been a blast. Um, Nobody will know this other than us, but we, we actually... Before we recorded the show, we were talking on the other side of the page for at least 10 minutes about stuff and just laughing up a storm. So it's so much fun to get to talk with you guys. And we have just incredible associate producers here through Patreon, and and they make that possible each and every week. 
Will Wynn, Ken Tripp, Brandon Shea and Bruce Gibson. Really appreciate y'all for making this happen each and every week here. And you guys support the network on Patreon and make sure that all of the content throughout the entire network comes to us each and every week. And what's great about that is that means that we don't have to have a lot of ads or anything like that on our shows. We just have great quality content, fun discussions about Star Trek and beyond. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team. We have some great perks that come with supporting us at different levels. Just see how you can find a way to make sure that all the content comes to you. Uh, There's just no way (laughs) that we can do it on our own. We really do appreciate all the support that so many of you have given to us throughout the years and continue to do so. Now, Dan, uh, when you're not getting your lobes tickled uh, there at the Dabo table, where can we find you? I... I didn't ask for that. I just want to be clear. You guys walked in. It is a very embarrassing situation. Uh, this is not my normal mm-hmm. Wednesday night. I, mm-hmm. I, I promise it's, you. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you definitely will not see evidence of that in my posts on Facebook, where you can find me at facebook.com slash Productions. Uh, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Twitter at Kurtratz. I'm on Instagram at Kurtratz47. Uh, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Kurtratz Productions, and of course on Facebook at the Babel Conference posting about Star Trek pretty much all the time. And uh, Bruce, when you're not sitting with Kiri Kintha debating whether anything unreal actually exists, uh, where can we find you? Wow. Um, you can find me at... Uh, where am I? Oh, you can find me at Admiral underscore Rex on Twitter. And you can also hear me occasionally on the star Wars report podcast with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman and Matthew, when you're not eating Grimalian sand pea biscuits, where can we find you? Oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. So good. I can't stop. Oh gosh. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matt rushing zero two. Uh, you can also find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, where we talk only about Deep Space Nine, so you'll want to check that out. I also do The 602 Club, which is our general geek show. I have a blast talking about all the other fandoms that we love around uh, the geekdom. It's it's just a, it's a great time, whether it's superheroes or old school films or something like Star Wars, Beyond. It's just incredible, so make sure you check out The 602 Club. Ruby serves up the best drinks. And you can also find me on a show with my good friend, John Mills, who's here on the network on Stage 9. And we talk about Star Wars. It's called Aggressive Negotiations. We're on the Nerd Party at thenerdparty.com and also on iTunes. And it's a great show, so make sure you check that out. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.